Uh, so there's a few of us here, some outside though, so it's great, so good to have um, everybody here. We're in our James series. I also wanted to say, I mean, I couldn't believe it. The youth that we started a few weeks ago, we had almost 60 teens there on Friday night. And uh, I just know God's doing something amongst the teenagers um, at Hope Church and beyond. And I just say more, Lord. I just say, if you can reach the teenagers in our city and use us as a small part in that process, what that's going to mean for here but also beyond is, is huge. And so please keep praying. I know God's doing something. He's starting something special. And please keep praying into that. But, but I was astounded. So there's so many who are giving up their Friday nights to serve. If any other of you here sit and go, I'm game to serve on a Friday, let us know. Uh, but it's exciting to see. So uh, we're going to dive into James. Uh, we did a very speedy uh, overview last week. And the reason why I was happy to do it speedy is because actually James comes back to everything that he spoke about uh, in that first chapter through the rest of the book. So if you missed last week, that's okay. We're going we're gonna to dive into it. And a brief, uh, a quick recap. Um, James was written, uh, or James was Jesus' brother. And uh, he was Jesus' uh, blood brother, or at least um, his dad was Joseph, not God. But he was his blood brother. And uh, the amazing thing is that James didn't actually believe that his brother was God in the flesh. Uh, so imagine that. And there's a number of uh, little references to the fact that James and his brothers just said, Oh, Jesus, you go and do your stuff with your followers, um, but we're, we're okay where we are. And it was only later on, uh, many believe actually when Jesus had died and risen again, when he appeared to James firsthand, that his own brother started to believe. But that was James who wrote it. He ended up leading the church in Jerusalem after Jesus' death and resurrection, and he led at a time of dramatic persecution for faith and of a huge famine in the land. So he was leading a church where there was starvation happening for many. People were at risk of their lives for following Jesus, and this is what he is writing into. And so interesting enough today, I was going to race through it, but actually I'm going to cover a shorter section because I felt that's what I'm supposed to do. We are going to look at partiality, I'll define it if you don't know it, and the poor today. Uh, and so as a helpful start to the preach, I thought it would be good for each of us to see where our average earnings place us on the scale globally. Now there's a number of online guides to this, there's different universities that have tried in many ways to, to sort of go what exactly is cost of living in different places, how do we average that out. Um, and I've looked through a few of them and there is a slight spread, but to give you a rough idea, if you earn $1,000 a month as your family here, this is for a family of two adults and two children, roughly average. If you take home $1,000 a month, you are in the top 15% globally. The top 15% is where you sit globally. Uh, just on that, what's so interesting, it would take the average base level employee in Zimbabwe uh, between 10 to 15 years to earn what you earn in one frightening, eh? That's on earning $1,000 a month. Um, you could buy a Coke roughly every six minutes or less, depending on if you're getting our locally made bottles with refills or not. Uh, whereas the base earner in Zimbabwe, it takes an hour's work to cover the cost of a Coke. Obviously, if you bought a Pepsi, it'd be a bit cheaper, but I mean, we, <laughs> most people would want Cokes probably more than Pepsis. But anyway, unless you're in India. Um, so if you earn, look at this jump, if you earn 2000 a month, you go into the top 3%. So if you collectively in your household, husband or wife or alone, are taking home 2000 a month, you're in the top 3% of the world. So why do I share this? Well, it's because when preaching on the poor, it's easy for us to feel that 
We're the poor ones, some of us. Might, we might be in that case. A few people here today, I think, I think many of us know we're rich, but it's, we, we're rich. But it's important for us to understand that usually when the Bible speaks about poverty, the Bible is classing us as extremely rich. And so we need to see ourselves, whether you're earning a thousand here and you're struggling to make ends meet, whether you're earning two thousand, we are in the top uh, 15 to 3 percent globally. And it's important for us to get that. And so I would expect that almost everybody in this room, some of you might be a little bit less, some of you might be in that top 15%, but I would imagine that almost everybody in this room is in the top 3%. That's my expectation. I could be wrong on that, but, but we're in the top. Now, we don't always feel that way because we have expectations of lifestyle. We have high expenses, the areas that we live in, and we're always looking to those who are wealthier than us rather than those who have less than us. But globally, we are incredibly well off. So as we move into the message, I don't want you to be sitting here going, mm, that's me, I'm one of the poor ones that Jesus is talking about. I want you to be sitting going, I'm one of the rich ones that he's challenging. So that is where we need to see it from here. And it's going to be a challenging preach. It really is. It was challenging to me as we went into it. So with this in mind, and uh, if you're exploring faith, this will be a helpful guide for you as well to just see where money and where our heart for the poor fits into the Christ-following lifestyle. This is what it says. My brothers... Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothes comes into your assembly, into your church, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet, as servants would have had to do in that day and age, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves, he's talking to Christ followers, and become judges with evil thoughts? I went to a youth conference when I studied in America. And as we waited in the queue to enter this conference, there was a, a brilliant conference called um, Dare to Share. Uh, it was for those who led teenagers. It was about reaching the world uh, in terms of faith. There was amazing musicians. And so there was, I don't know, maybe five to 7,000 in the place. And so there was big queues to get in. And as we were all queuing in this line to get in, there was this beggar, this kind of annoying beggar. And uh, it was just so interesting to see, even for myself, uh, as this beggar was coming and was asking for, for, for different things from us, and we were getting ready and excited to go into this exciting conference, you sort of either saw there was the odd few people who entertained as he was asking for food and things like that. But the rest of us, you know, being the, the great Christ followers that we were, we kind of just carefully nudged ourselves to the side so that so that as he came he couldn't really see us face to face and we pretended to be deep in conversation you know so we just couldn't quite get disrupted by this beggar and uh, as the conference launched that beggar came onto the stage and he took off his outfit and uh, it was the leader of the conference um, and uh, and most of us were incredibly shocked but also saddened at the way that we treated that person because it suddenly showed and he came in on his full preach, it kind of showed how we actually viewed people. And we were there as leaders of youth and the ones who were the most sold out for Jesus, apparently. And yet most of us absolutely ignored this person who was trying to speak to us. It was a big challenge to each of us. And uh, that was the point in his message. We are a people who very often show something called partiality. And partiality includes a group of terms that literally mean to accept or judge someone according to face, at face value. The Oxford Dictionary defines partiality as an unfair bias in favor of a person or a thing. And so in this context, it's the unfair bias between rich and between poor. 
Partiality is choosing to value people differently based on their wealth or social status. So if we were uh, on the ground in a Zimbabwean context, here's a few thoughts, you could probably come up with some better ones. But would we treat the petrol attendant with the same time and value and care as the potential business partner we're about to meet for coffee who arrived in a brand new Land Cruiser? Would we give them the same time of day? Would we, be, would, would we give them the same weighting and value in a conversation? Do we honor the waitress just as much as the person we're sitting across the table from? Would we stop and talk to the beggar on the road or outside our gate as we would with the same care a stranger, a friend just introduced us to at church or in a social setting at a gathering? Would we treat them with the same time? At church... Do we only have conversations and see people in the same light if we believe they, they sort of have the potential of being our friends or they're the same wealth bracket? Do we treat them in a different light to if we had someone at church and in the mix of us here at Hope who is kind of clearly in a different wealth bracket to the one that we're in? If we were to press this a little bit deeper into awkwardness, if we had someone genuinely part of Hope Church who's of a very different wealth bracket to us, are we eager, number one, to have them in church? And number two, would we welcome them in the same way as anybody else? I'm challenging us deeply on this because James challenged the church on this. I'd be the first to admit this is difficult. I'll be honest with you uh, in my own life as well. This goes against so much of our hearts and so much of our culture. We stick to what we know and to what makes us comfortable. We live behind huge walls in our city that keep us away from anything that makes us feel awkward and uncomfortable. And we welcome in through our walls, through the gates of our walls, our electric gates, those who we feel we would connect with well and the doors are shut to others. It's what we do. We also wouldn't like to admit that a large part of our relational focus may be because of the benefits that that potential relationship could bring us. So our focus of who do we choose as friends, who do we build relationships with, we might not admit it, but I have a feeling that a number of times, even subconsciously, the extent to which we build a relationship with someone or we don't is the extent to which we believe we might gain a benefit from that relationship versus us being able to benefit someone else in that relationship that's our human sinful bias and Jesus wants to demolish that perspective in our hearts today and so the Lord wants us to start seeing people with the same eyes that he does that every single person say it again every single person that we interact with has been created lovingly and intricately by God with a purpose in the world every single person they have identical value from his perspective and if we're honest, that's incredibly hard and we need God's help to see everybody in the same light. And James uses two key things to challenge us with this perspective. At the start there, you'll see in that verse, uh, if you want to jump back to it, he says, Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. The first thing he wants us to see is the only one who is classed differently is Jesus. He is the Lord of glory and everybody else is on the same playing field. There's no differentiation, there's no better, there's no worse, there's Jesus and there's us, period. That's the first thing he wants us to see as he shares it. And then the second thing that uh, he wants us to know from that, the, the second thing that he looks at, is we need to recognize that when we show a different weighting to different people or when we um, show partiality, we are operating with evil thoughts. Do you notice how he says that? It's evil. 
He says that when we see people in a different waiting, it's not just, oh, that's just part of my nature or that's just how things are in Zimbabwe. No, it's evil and we're operating with evil thoughts, which he says there at the end of the passage. So they're ungodly. We need to ask Jesus to forgive us and to change our perspective. It's quite quiet in here, hey? Well, I'm just as challenged as you. So uh, there we go. Right, verse 5. Let's carry on. Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you've dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name, that's Jesus' name, by which they were called? So why should we care deeply for the poor? Why as church, and I'll share on that a little bit more, how we want to increasingly do more in this area. Why should they have priority in our lives and priority in our focus? It's because James says they've been chosen by God to be rich in faith. That's an interesting statement. But I would say that when poor people follow Jesus, it's often with a far greater passion than us as the rich. It's often with a far greater desire to honor Jesus. Why? Because he's all that they have. And so he's the greatest priority. They can't rely on big bank accounts. They can't rely on wealthy families. They can't rely on status and social standing. Their reliance has to be on Christ, the one who they serve. And so it's a, it's a challenge for us in that. And James says that they can actually be an example to us of what it means to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, not because of what we can get from him, but because he is the only thing that they might have. It's the principle of that old widow who uh, the religious leaders were standing with Jesus outside the temple where, where they would pop the offering in. And they heard these two coins drop rather than the big chunk of all the wealthy religious leaders. And they kind of were mocking a little bit. And Jesus was like, actually, she's given more than anybody here because she's given out of her lack. She's given out of her poverty. That's the first one. And secondly, he says that they are heirs of the kingdom. So the poor are our brothers and sisters in Christ. They will inherit in God's kingdom. We will spend eternity together as Christ follows, regardless of our wealth bracket and social standing. And so remember that and show them honor. They will be eternally rich one day, the same as all Christ followers. You see, earthly wealth is not a good indicator of heavenly reward. Say that again. Earthly wealth is not a good indicator of heavenly reward. And so it's very possible that those who are poor in this world could be far wealthier for all eternity than those of us who are rich in this lifetime wouldn't that be a humbling thing in heaven and i believe it i know some uh, and i'll be honest with this i know i know some domestic workers some carers who i have without a shadow of a doubt i believe they will be far ahead in honor and wealth than many of the rich in society and that's forever they might lack now for 50 60 70 years but as they've honored jesus that's forever doesn't mean that being wealthy means that you can't follow jesus and have eternal rewards no not at all But Jesus does say it's difficult. He does say it's hard. And so we need to be aware of that. The differentiation in Jesus' eyes between those who are Christ followers and those who who are not is incredibly challenging. Look at this one. And uh, I have to read it because it's so strong. Matthew uh, 25. You can go and look at this again. We talk about the rich and poor. Look at this. When the Son of Man comes in His glory. So when Jesus returns again. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus yet, He's coming back. He's coming soon. I hope it's in our lifetime. What a day that will be. But he's coming back, so we need to get our lives right. 
when he comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he'll place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. And then the king will say to those on his right, he'll say, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, you welcomed me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And the righteous, righteous doesn't mean do-gooders. The righteous means people who've been transformed by Jesus from the inside out. They will answer him saying, but Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you as a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these brothers here, you did it to me. Then he'll say to those on his left, depart from me you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you didn't welcome me. I was naked and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. And then they'll all answer, but saying like, Lord, we didn't see you. You didn't appear to us, God. We didn't see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison. And we didn't minister to you. And he will, he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And he'll say, go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So, can I say that the way that we view and care for the poor is a gospel issue? It's an eternal issue. It's not an option if we call ourselves Christ followers. It's not like, oh, some people are just, they care about the poor as Christians, but, but I just don't really care about them. No, it's a gospel issue. And Jesus takes it seriously. And he says, actually, guys, this is one of the indicators to me of whether you're a Christ follower or not. This is one of the indicators to whether you've been saved or not. Because if you have been turned, changed from the inside out, you will have my heart. And so you'll care for the poor that I care about. And you will love the poor that I care about deeply. The level at which we love the poor is an indicator of whether we've experienced heart transformation or not. If we don't have a love and a care for the poor, we really need to assess, firstly, whether we're Christ followers, and secondly, whether we've become so hardened and so hardened in our hearts that we need to ask the Holy Spirit to soften us this morning. We need to ask Him. And I know in poorer nations like Zimbabwe, I know it can get draining. People have demands on us and you can get flooded and it can build this hardness of heart in us. I know that. I've felt that at times. And so if we're Christ followers and we've just become a bit hard to the poor, today Jesus would say, soften your heart and He can help us live that out. And so I'm not saying that we're living a legalistic faith here. Like suddenly we look after the poor, heaven's home. We don't look after the poor, we go to hell. No, that's not what I'm saying. Because we're saved by grace alone through what Jesus has done on the cross. But I am saying that one of the fruit of our lives that shows that we're Christ followers is our care for the poor. You see, the church in James' time had got things confused. The wealthy often used the court system of the day to steal land and possessions from the poor. They used those systems. They had connections. They managed to do things that the poor couldn't do. I think that could happen in our age as well. And so James is saying, why are you as the poor? He's talking to the poor now. Why are you groveling after the rich in order to gain something from them? And yet they're the very ones who couldn't care less about you. 
They're the very ones who actually are abusing their privileges to gain rather than to raise you out of poverty. Lord Jesus, save us from viewing our employees, our domestic staff, people who have less than us, as anything less in value than us. Save us from operating out of pride and arrogance would we see people with your heart. It's a big prayer of mine. The passage directs us back, as I said. Um, we continue to go back to the introduction. And in the d- introduction that I read last week, it said verse 9, James 1 verse 9. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. I had the most amazing chat with a, a university student uh, this past week. And uh, he was just asking me, how do I know what God's will is for my life? How do I know what I should do? It was amazing to see uh, a young 20-year-old really grappling and saying, I don't want to waste my life. And uh, he was saying, you know, I feel maybe I'm called to business and maybe I'm called to these sorts of things. Uh, and I just shared some stories of people I know, businessmen uh, and the like, who are just radically generous. They genuinely see their resources as a mechanism for kingdom advance. And uh, they don't want any, um, any of the spotlight and they live these humble lives because they don't want people to know the level of wealth they have and they just shunt it into the kingdom. And uh, he said to me, ask me such a question. He's like, man, if I go into business, I, I just want that heart. He's like, have you chatted to those people who are, who are so radical? What is it that's different to them? And I said to him, I said there's a number of things, but I'd say two things. And I'd say, number one, from a young age, they've recognized that their resources are not their own, but they're God's to steward. And so from a young age, they've lived a generous life. From when they had little, they gave much, so that when they had much, they gave much. Just part of their lives. And I said, secondly, they've got a big picture that eternity is forever and earth is very short. And they don't want to leave any cash on the table when it could be invested for eternity. And so he says he was taking, he's taking thoughts and he's like, please, can you send me more notes on this? He's like, if I go into business, I want to start like this young. And uh, so I said to him, we can start at university. From what your mom and dad give you, start being radical in generosity. It'll be your life on it. But, but that's, uh, that's, that's where God challenges us. Um, so verse 8, we continue there. Uh, we'll close off uh, in this section. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. The royal law um, has said love. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. There was the religious law that the Jewish people had to follow. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. God had the laws, Ten Commandments. But if you do not commit adultery but you do murder, you've become a transgressor of the law. So he's saying the problem with the law that we live in is that if we show partiality, it's the same as if we killed someone in God's eyes. The sin is the same. It separates us from God. If we commit adultery, um, but, but we care for the poor, it's the same issue in God's eyes. We're never going to reach his standard. So he says, so speak and act as those who are judged under the law of liberty, the law of grace. For judgment is without mercy to those who have shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What's James trying to get as we close? He closes off with this huge challenge to each of us. If we have a mindset, a do-gooder mindset, If I'm good, God loves me. If I'm bad, God doesn't love me. And he's saying, just remember the royal law of love. That's the law that's more important than any other. And he says, showing partiality, treating other people differently because of wealth brackets, is in absolute opposition to the law of love, 
which is the law of Christ. And so he's saying it's opposition. And this favoritism or valuing others above everything else makes us accountable before God. And so we can't sit and go, but God, I've, I've done so well. I, I haven't committed adultery. I haven't murdered. You know, I, I, I live a good upright life. I just, kind of, I just kind of really don't like the poor. He says, you're in the same camp as if someone was a murderer. Before God, favoritism carries the same weight compared to the perfect God. And that's why Jesus needed to come. That's why he had to pay the price for our sin on the cross. Because whether we've committed adultery or told a lie or shown partiality, we've all fallen short of God's perfect standard. And so we need his forgiveness. And if you've never done that today, you can do that today. You can have a relationship with Christ today by asking him to save you from your sin. And as you enter that relationship with Jesus, you start living under the law of liberty, the law of grace. It's not about do's and don'ts. It's about celebrating what Jesus has done. It's living out of the overflow of that life change. And then we start to become like him as we receive more and more of who Jesus is. We start to not show favoritism. We start to not show partiality because we receive more and more from Christ. We get to freely choose to love others as we've been loved. We get to freely choose to love the poor because Christ loved us who were poor in spirit. We have freedom to follow Jesus and obey what he says as he works on our hearts. And friends, that's the only way to live. If we live under the systems of do's and don'ts in order to be good enough for God, we're never good enough. We live under this weight, under this burden. And when we die, as it says there at the end, I don't want to be judged under whether I was a good person or not because I know that I will never be good enough for God. And that's why I receive what Jesus did on the cross. And that's why it says there, we want to be judged under God's mercy because mercy triumphs over judgment. When we receive God's mercy, what he did for us on the cross, we don't pay the punishment for our sin because Jesus paid it for us. He takes that punishment so that we don't have to. It's beautiful and it's life-giving and it's the best way to live. We live out of the wonder of what he's done for us. And then we display that royal love to everybody around So a few practicals in the last five minutes. How does this outwork? You might say, Craig, that's fine. You've challenged us. I'm feeling like, oh my goodness, I need to change the way I see the poor. Uh, If you're still feeling hard, the Holy Spirit can still change that hardness in your heart. But uh, a few challenges for us. First one, live grateful. I prayed for that earlier. But to be honest, the more that we're grateful for what we have, the more generous we're able to be. The more that we look at what we don't have, the more we want to hang on to our resources and the less, that, and the less we want to give. And can I, can I just be honest with some of us here today? Some of us need to adjust our lifestyles so that we can live off what we earn. Some of us need to sit down and have a hard conversation with God or a hard conversation with a spouse and go, actually, we're living an ungrateful life because we are on the max. But actually, we could change this, we could change this, we could change this, we could sell this, we could stop subscribing to this, we could do this, we could do this. And actually, we would start to live we could move to a smaller house, we could move to a flat, whatever it, whatever it takes, some of us need to adjust our living standard because actually we're pushing the boundaries. And God's, we're living in the top 3%, but we're saying it's not enough. We're living there, we're saying, but God, we need more. And actually God's saying, you need to adjust life down. You've got more, you've got everything. You need to adjust your living standard. So that's a practical for us. Second, put yourself in the shoes of what it's like to live as someone less fortunate than you. Try in your mind to live a day of somebody earning 120 bucks a month. Just think about what you would buy with that money. If that was all you had, how would you live? 
How would you feel? Put ourselves in the shoes of people less fortunate than ourselves. Number three, remember that in Jesus' eyes, we have identical value. How do you speak about people who have a different wealth bracket to you? Do you use derogatory terms? Ask God to change that in your heart right now. We're on equal value. And so we should be speaking and thinking about people of different wealth brackets in the same way we would think about a contemporary with the same wealth bracket as us. Fourthly, see yourself as a mechanism to display God's love and care. I definitely don't get this right here and I don't. We've got much to learn and grow. But one of the things, not just according to that Matthew, Matthew 25, that huge challenge of the sheep and the goats, but one of the things we've made a decision on is that we can never ever say no to food and water. If somebody asks us for food and water, the basics, it's one thing we say with what we have and what God's given us, we can never say no to. There might be times where you feel that you can, but we've just sat there going, whether it's somebody at the gate, whether it's somebody on the side of the road, if we have food and water to give, it is the one thing we can never say no to. That's, that's our challenge, um, but it's one of the, the, the challenges that we've had. Linking to that, we need to see, uh, number five, we need to see beneath the external look of somebody to see their spiritual value. So we need to see somebody, be it a beggar, be it somebody earning less than us, to have the identical spiritual value as us. Number six, we need to be intentional about relationships with those of a different world standing to us. Sometimes we need to actually start building a friendship. Maybe some of our employees, maybe we are, uh, there's employees and they're on a different bracket to us. We don't even know the names of their spouse or of their kids. Maybe God's just challenging us to actually to, to care about somebody who has less than us. Number seven, we need to be wise. We mustn't operate out of guilt, but out of conviction. So don't suddenly hand out all the money you have in your wallet now to everybody you see who's poor on the side of the road. Don't necessarily do that unless Jesus tells you to do that. So if he tells you to do that today, go do it. You know, I'm, I'm not going to stop you doing that. But listen to the Holy Spirit and be wise. Because we don't want to support people in bad habits. We don't want to sustain somebody who it's going to get burnt on drunkenness. So that's why Sarah and I have made the call to say, we can give food. Because somebody's not going to get drunk on food. They might try and sell it, but that's harder to do. We're going to give enough for a daily meal, those sorts of things. But, but we be wise in how you care for the poor. Listen to the Holy Spirit in that. And number eight, part of why we started Beans for Life, is protect yourself from facilitating a begging lifestyle. Build accountability amongst the poor. That in day training we, can, we do maybe helps with that. But, 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 but help be somebody who doesn't facilitate a handout syndrome, but how do you help someone with a hand up? There's many other things we could say, and maybe I'll post that uh, on our WhatsApp chat later. Last one as I pray. What are we doing in this regard as a church? Because God's challenged us on this in a big way. Going back to James 1 verse 27, it says, Religion that's pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, in their distress, to keep oneself unstained from the world. And so we already do things for those uh, in, in different areas that we trust, but we're going to increasingly be maximizing our giving to serve and support the poor, be it food distribution, orphan care, in day be training, um, helping people get off the street. We want to facilitate not a hand-out syndrome, but a hand-up syndrome. And so this is going to be radically prioritized amongst us at Hope Church. We've been doing it, but we want to do it more, so stay tuned for updates on that. Let's stand and pray. I just want us before God very briefly to just assess where we're at 
when it comes to showing partiality and a love for the poor. And so Holy Spirit right now, would you show us as a people if our hearts are hard to the poverty around us? God, would you break our hearts for what breaks yours? God, would you save us from living lives of partiality, of favoritism? Jesus, would you use us as tools in your hand to see people raised out of, uh, out of poverty? Would you show us the needs around us, the needs in our neighborhoods, the needs in our businesses, the needs on the street? Jesus, would you use us as a mechanism to demonstrate your love and to expand and extend your kingdom? Jesus, would we build friendships even when they're uncomfortable? Would we love when it's awkward? Would we see people in the same light as you see them? And Jesus, I know that we can't do this on our own. Holy Spirit, would you give us a radical softening of heart? Would you give us a radical love like we've never had before? That actually it would overflow from us, Holy Spirit. That where there's been a hardness um, that's, that's crept into our hearts, would you soften it right now? The soil of our hearts, would you break apart? Would you, would you plow it up like only you, the ultimate farmer, could do? Lord Jesus, would we see every single person as precious in your sight? that you died for on the cross the same as us, that you have a plan and a purpose for their lives, that they are heirs of the kingdom for all eternity, brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord Jesus, do it. Do it in our hearts, Holy Spirit. We can't manufacture it. We cry to you and say, Lord Jesus, would you do it? The one who paid the price for each of us on the cross, would you break our hearts for the poor? Would you give us a love inexplainable? And would you use us as Hope Church to radically and massively bring about a transformation in poverty in our areas? Would you give us strategy? Would you give us insight? Would we see many, many people um, unleashed into, uh, into businesses, into employment, into study? I don't know what it is, Lord Jesus. Would, would we see widows on their own two feet? Would we see children fed? Would we, would we see orphans cared, or, um, cared for in increasing measures? Would you continue to use us as a river of your blessing rather than a dam wall that stores it up for ourselves? Would we see our resources as a massive mechanism to advance your kingdom and to care for those who need it? Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for this time together. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Yes, thank you, Lord. Thank you for challenging us. So that was a big challenge. Um, please, we will send this out. Listen to it again. Ask God to speak to you. Might give you ideas to care for the poor. But uh, meet somebody that you don't know. Um, uh, have a great coffee. Uh, enjoy the spring fair and the heat if you want to go there. I'll be relaxing. Um, if you want to sign up to serve, please do that. Uh, if you're new, please do sign up as well. We'd love to get to know you. But thanks for your time together and for coming out early. We'll see you next week, 9 o'clock next week. Thank you.